beaten, battered, baffled, and bludgeoned. That's how our teacher, Dr. James Vernon McGee, describes King David as he sat down to write Psalm 23. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz. Welcome aboard the Bible bus as we set off for a wonderful series of psalms. We're covering Psalm 23 and 24. Today's study of these beautiful songs of David is a great one, one that I know will encourage and bless you. So go ahead and grab your seat, find your place in God's Word, and while you do that, here's a quick letter from Natalia, who listens from her home in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I first heard you on the radio while going to work. Since then, I've tried to listen daily. It's been more than a year since I've hopped aboard. I'm now a stay-at-home mom, so listening from the app gives me an opportunity to read and listen any time of the day. I thank God for this study, as it greatly helps me stay on track by going through each chapter and book of the Bible. I now not only read the Word, but through your teaching, I understand it. The most important lesson I've learned is that we are saved by faith, not works. I struggle living Romans 8 and have a hard time applying it to my life, but I'm trying. May our Heavenly Father bless you all. I'm so happy to be on the Bible bus making the trip together. Well, it's so great to hear from you, Natalia. Thanks for sharing what you're learning as we make our way through God's Word. And what are you learning as we journey through the Bible together? You know, we'd love to hear your story. It's simple. You can email us at BibleBus at ttb.org. You can also write to us by sending your note to Box 7100. Pasadena, California, 91109, or in Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. And remember, you can also call and leave us a message anytime at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you that the Psalms help us clearly see Jesus as our Savior, as our Shepherd, and as our King. As we study today, Lord, help us to become a bit more like Him. In His name we pray. Amen. Now here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Psalm 23 and 24 on Through the Bible. Now today, friends, we come to this 23rd Psalm. And as we come to this Psalm, I want to repeat again what we said last time. And that is that Psalm 23, which is so popular, has been so wonderful, is meaningless without Psalm 22. And that leads me to say that we have a trilogy or a triptych here of three psalms that actually belong together. They are the shepherd psalms, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. Now, in Psalm 22, we saw the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember, made the statement, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John 10, verse 11. And we saw that last time. Now Psalm 23 is the great shepherd. And we are told the great shepherd of the sheep. And this is found in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse 20. And this, of course, is that great benediction that is there at the end of Hebrews. And I'm sure many of you have heard it. And I know I've used it for years. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. That is complete in every work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Now, that's the great shepherd, and Psalm 23 reveals him as the great shepherd. Now, we'll see next Psalm 24, and there he is the chief shepherd. And Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So that in Psalm 22, we see the cross. Psalm 23, the crook, the shepherd's crook. And Psalm 24, the crown, the king's crown. Psalm 22, he's the savior. Psalm 23, he's the satisfier. Psalm 24, he's the sovereign. Psalm 22, he's the foundation. Psalm 23, he's the manifestation. Psalm 24, he is the expectation. And in Psalm 22, he's dying. Psalm 23, he's living. Psalm 24, he's coming. Psalm 22 speaks of the past, Psalm 23 of the present, Psalm 24 of the future. And Psalm 22, he gives his life for the sheep. Psalm 23, he gives his love to the sheep. And Psalm 24, he gives his light when he shall appear. Now, we have, therefore, in these three very wonderful psalms, a picture. Now, let's zero in on Psalm 23. And it's very familiar. It's probably the most familiar passage that there is in the Word of God. No portion in writing of any kind, anywhere, has been so widely circulated as this. The Jew, both Orthodox and Reformed, knows this psalm. The Christian, Huguenot, Covenanter, Vadois, Cromwell, Puritan, and all the denominations and all Christian groups acquainted with Psalm 23. And the world has caught its beauty. More is written on this. It's very short. It's very simple. Only six verses. It's like the Gettysburg Address as far as brevity is concerned. There are several very interesting little mottos that go along, I think, with this psalm. Someone has said, I do not care how much a man says if he says it in a few words. Well, you have a few words in Psalm 23. And then there is another. If folk who do not have anything to say would refrain from saying it, it'd be a better world. And that probably is true. And there was a business executive years ago that had this little motto up on the wall in his office for everyone to see that entered. It says, if you have anything important to say, say it in five minutes. Well, it'll take you just 45 seconds to read the 23rd Psalm. It is simple. It's not the language of philosophy. It's not the language of theology. It's not a legal or a scientific document. It is sublimely simple and simply sublime. And there are, I think, two things that we ought to know about this psalm before we look at the text. It's agreed that David is the author. But the question has always been, did he write it when he was a shepherd boy or an aged king? And candidly, friends, it's important to know that. Dr. Frank Morgan has called this the psalm of the old shepherd. I like that. I agree with it. David the king, you see, never forgot David the shepherd boy. And you have here 
not the musings of a green, inexperienced lad, but you have the mature deliberations of a ripe experience. You see, David, when he came close to the end of his life, he looked back upon his checkered career. He looked back upon his life, and it was then that he gave Psalm 23. And the old king on the throne remembered that shepherd boy and wrote this psalm. You see, life had beaten and battered and baffled and bludgeoned this man. He was a hardened soldier, a veteran who knew victory and privation and hardship. He knew song and shadow. He was tested and tried. And therefore, you have in this not the theorizings of immaturity, but you have the fruit and judgment born of a long life. And then here's something that is more vitally linked with the contents, I think, of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. By what authority do you say that? Is this a psalm for everybody, irrespective of individuals? I don't think so. I think that Psalm 22, 23, and 24 go together. And you have one story told here, and you have to know him as the good shepherd that gave his life for the sheep before you can know him as the great shepherd today. You must know the shepherd of Psalm 22 before you can say Psalm 23. And now, let's look at this psalm. I have attempted to divide it, and you'll notice in my notes, you have, first of all, in the first two verses, a revelation of the sanctuary of the shepherd's soul. And verses 3 and 4, the record of the thoughts of the shepherd's mind. And then 5 and 6, the reflection of the happiness and hope of the shepherd's heart. What a picture that you have here. Now let's look at that here for just a moment. You have here in verse 1, listen to this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me. Now, here is a he and me psalm again. The emphasis now, nothing between the man's soul and God. Now, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, you have here in verse 1 a declaration and a deduction. The Lord is my shepherd. And it's one thing again to say the Lord is a shepherd. A lot of people can say that. Sounds good. This is a beautiful psalm. But today, can you actually say, the Lord is my shepherd? And by the authority of his redemption, his death and resurrection, today we can say, by faith we've trusted him, and he's my shepherd. How wonderful that is. It's easy for somebody to say, the Lord will be my shepherd. But David didn't say that the Lord is my shepherd. And you remember in John 10, when these Pharisees came and religious rulers and made their verbal attack upon him, he said, you believe not because you're not my sheep. I've said that to you already. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. And so that's another way he said that and because he said that, I can say today, the Lord is my shepherd. 
and not I have not wanted, but I shall not want. And so you have here in this verse, I shall not want. What is it I need? Well, I need safety. I'm a sheep. (laughs) And a sheep is a stupid little animal. And I need safety. And therefore, he sees I won't want. He protects. And if a little sheep can say, Oh, I shall not want. If a little sheep says, I shall never perish, it's because he's got a wonderful shepherd. Because a little old sheep's stupid. And a friend of mine who moved up into Oregon, and he had heard me talk about sheep a great deal. I used the illustration so much. So he decided to get several sheep. And he had me out for dinner when I was up there. And he took me out to show me the sheep. And he said, now look here, Dr. McGee. You gave me the impression that the little old sheep were sweet little, nice little animals that were so helpless. He says, I want to tell you they are the stubbornness. They are hard-headed. In fact, he says they are pig-headed. He said it's terrible the way that they act. And he said, you know, they're dirty and filthy animals. I said, that's the human race, you know. They set us forward. What a picture they are. We need safety and we need sufficiency. And you notice what he says here in verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. That's safety. And we are told here that hungry sheep will not lie down. That means he's our sufficiency. And then there's satisfaction. He leadeth me beside still waters. Sheep don't like to drink turbulent or stagnant water. They don't want to drink where the hogs drink. Now, the human family today needs rest, not so much physical or mental, but the rest of the soul. You remember what David said in Psalm 55, 6? Oh, that I had the wings like a dove. He wanted to get away from it. What he's after, but that didn't help because he'd already found out by the advice of those. They said, why don't you get away from it? Why don't you fly away like a bird to your mountain? I won't solve your problems. And he found out that it's rest in the Lord. Wait patiently upon him. And the Lord Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll rest you. Now we have in this psalm, in verses 3 and 4, we have a record of the shepherd's mind. That is, of the thoughts of the shepherd's mind. Listen to him here. He restoreth my soul. David knew what that was. David had sinned. He was that little lost sheep that got out from the fold. He restoreth my soul, and he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But we must follow. You notice what he said. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. That's the way you tell his sheep. You see, in that day, a shepherd never drove his sheep. The sheep followed him. That's not true in that land today. Every now and then you'll see a shepherd ahead of his sheep, but very seldom. But in that day, he knew his sheep. He'd been with them day after day. They followed him. Now we have here in verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's courage and comfort. Now, death is, I think, the supreme test of life. And he's not saying to wait till you got on your deathbed. The human family, the entire human family today is in the shadow of death. It's a picture of a man when you're born 
you start down a great canyon, and that canyon is the valley of the shadow of death. And you're constantly in it. Today, you know, they say here in Los Angeles that when you cross the street, you better move in a hurry because we only have the quick and the dead. If you're not quick, you'll be dead crossing the street. You're always in the shadow of death. Someone put it like this, the moment that gives you life begins to take it away from you. And so we're, all of us, in Death Valley. All of us are there and the shadow of death on us. And though I walk through it, I'll fear no evil. That's the courage and comfort that he gives. And when of our loved ones die, well, we can always have what? We can have courage and comfort if that one is a child of God. I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. And we can know that he's with us at all times and even at the time of death. For thou art with me. I want him with me when my time comes to die. Now will you notice thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And here will you notice this, rod and staff. A rod was for defense. A staff was for direction. And we had it put like this, thy gentle reproof and severe rebuke. He does both today. He has a rod for our defense, but he has a staff for our direction because these little old sheep are bound to stray, and he has a staff for that. And they comfort me. I know this. I've learned this, friends. I'm getting up now to be an old man, and I look back on life, and I know this. That rod is a comfort, and he's used it on me several times and I thank him for it because it's got me back into the fold. We need that. Then we come to the last of this. We have a reflection here of the happiness and hope of the shepherd's heart. Will you listen to this? Verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me. We have here felicity and fruitfulness and fullness. All of that's undergirded with joy. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. What is that table today? I think it's the Lord's table, by the way. Back there, I think it was that God promised Israel physical blessings. Us, I think he's promised spiritual blessing. Now he says, Thou anointest my head with oil. And that oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. We need that anointing today. We can't face life alone. And my cup runneth over. And that's joy. We need to be undergirded with joy today. He says, I've come that you might have life, have it more abundantly, and that your joy might be full. And like the little girl prayed, she said, Lord, fill up my cup. I can't hold very much, but I can run over a whole lot. We need Christians today that are running over. Then we have verse 6, all the way from the green pastures and still waters to the Father's house. He's our shepherd. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And he told me, he says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I do, I'm going to come and receive you again. You know, sheep aren't much, and we're not pedigreed sheep, by the way. But we do have a wonderful shepherd. Can you say it today at this moment? 
The Lord is my shepherd. If you can, you can say the rest. If he is the shepherd that gave his life for the sheep and he's your Savior, you can say this psalm. Now we come to Psalm 24. And Psalm 24 is the psalm of the crown. It's a very wonderful psalm, and I'm going to just hit a high point here. Actually, it is not arranged in our translation probably like it should be. Verses 1 and 2 are a chorus. The earth is the Lord, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they who dwell therein. He founded it upon the seas, established it upon the floods. Now, that's a chorus. Then next, you have a solo, and all of this goes together. Now, tradition claims that this psalm was composed when the ark was brought up from Kirjith Jerim to Mount Zion, and there's where David had set up a tabernacle and then prepared to build the temple in which the ark was placed. Now, it was sung, therefore, thinking an epiphanal way. You have, first of all, a chorus, these first two verses, then a solo, and then you have an answering solo in verse 4 and a chorus in verse 5 and 6. And then when you get to verse 7, why they enter Zion, and I think that everybody joins in on that last. must have been wonderful to have heard this, and we have here in this psalm the companions of the king who entered the kingdom, and then the coming of the king to set up his kingdom here upon this earth. That's the way this psalm divides itself. And will you notice very briefly, he says the earth is the Lord's. What a wonderful. Speaks of him again as the creator. This earth belongs to him, friends. It doesn't belong to the Democrats or the Republicans. It doesn't belong to the president, whoever he might be. It doesn't belong to communism. There's so many people today that want to run this earth, but it belongs to God. And he founded it upon the sea, established it upon the flood. And you'll remember back there on the third day that he separated the waters, he gathered the waters together, and the dry land appeared out of the waters, and it had been submerged. It was life out of death. Actually speaks of resurrection. Now you have this wonderful solo. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? Who's going to? Well, verse 4, he who hath clean hands, a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. May I say that lets me out. I won't be there, friends, but I'm going to be there. You know why? Because I'm going to be there in Christ. He has undertaken to present me before the throne of his presence faultless. What a beautiful picture this is. Now listen to that chorus. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of salvation. This is the generation of them who seek him, who seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Now they entered Jerusalem. I think this is two pictures that you have here. This is a picture when he went back to heaven. This is a picture when he comes to earth again. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. The King of glory shall come in. Well, now, who is he? The world doesn't know him. The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Open up the gates. Let's let him in. He's not in today. 
This is the world that's rejected him. Who is this king of glory? He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. And he's the king of glory. Selah. Think on that for a little while, friends. We're going to have to stop there today, but we'll move right on with Psalm 25 next time. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. You know you can share this message with a friend or family member by directing them to ttb.org or calling us at 1-800-65-BIBLE and requesting a free pack of Bible bus passes to hand out to everyone that you meet. Each card's got a little QR code on the back that'll link them to the program and our website address. Again, you can reach us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or ttb.org. Now, in our next study, we're going to begin a new section in the Psalms. It's one that gives us details on David's personal experiences and then also a look at the future when God's remnant in Israel is in trouble. We'll discover that God is a very present help in times of trouble. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'm going to meet you right back here next time. So God bless you today as you walk with him in his word. grateful for the faithful and generous support of Through the Bible's partners, whom God uses to take the whole word to the whole world.